0: And uh, we'll start our reading tonight at uh, verse 8 and read through the end of the chapter. Uh, As we've been going through this part of 2 Kings, uh, we've been uh, looking together at the ministry of Elisha the prophet. And it's worth noting and uh, uh, paying special attention to the fact that uh, Elisha's Ministry is one of many miraculous events, and his uh, the miracles that he performed. For example, in chapter four, verses uh, one through seven, we read of uh, the payment of the the way in which uh, through a, a miracle, a widow uh, is able to pay her debt. And so it is also that Christ uh, pays our debt. And also, uh, Elisha did miracles of resurrection in which uh, he was enabled to raise the dead. And so it is that uh, Christ is the one who raises us from death. Elisha did miracle of feeding Uh, Many with limited uh, food, and so he uh, foreshadowed the Lord Jesus Christ who would do the same. He uh, performed a miracle of healing. He healed uh, the Syrian general Naaman uh, from leprosy, and so also the Lord Jesus Christ would heal many from leprosy. And also we were going to see tonight in chapter 6 the way in which Elisha uh, is used by God to bring deliverance to Israel from the armies of Syria. So let's then uh, look together at uh, 2, Kings chapter, uh, 2 Kings chapter 6 beginning at verse 8. Once when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants, saying, At such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going down there. And The king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him, Thus he used to warn him, so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? And one of the servants said, None, my lord, O king. But Elisha the prophet, who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel, the words that you speak in your bedroom. And he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and seize him. And it was told him, Behold, he is in Dothan. And so he sent there horses and chariots and a great army. And they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, Behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servants said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And he, that is, Elisha, said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, Please open his eyes that he may see. And so the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and he said, Please strike this people with blindness. And so he struck them with blindness according to the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, This is not the way and this is not the city. Follow me and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. And as soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. And so the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw. Behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. As soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, My father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? And he answered, You shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those whom you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Set bread and water before them, that they may eat and drink and go to their master. And so he prepared for them a great feast. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away, and they went to their master. And the Syrians did not come again on raids into the land of Israel. So ends the reading of God's holy word. Let us pray. Eternal God, our Heavenly Father, you are truly the God who reigns over the nations. You are the living God. You are a God who has spoken and the world that we know and see, has come into being. You have decreed whatsoever comes to pass, and you sovereignly and with great power bring it to pass. How, O Lord, we thank you. For this record which you have given to us in your most holy word of your, the great deeds that you have done, the mighty works that you have done for your people, grant that we might be filled with uh, courage and that we would be filled with wonder and trust and faith as we think about what you have done for your people Israel we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This uh, passage that we've read tonight is one of the most remarkable in uh, Second Kings, describing events that are truly very, very unusual. And there's so much to learn as we uh, make our way through them. I think the overriding... Uh, theme uh, that we can say in one sentence that sort of summarizes what this passage teaches is this, we can have courage when faced with overwhelming odds, if we remember that God has ample power for our deliverance. We can have courage when facing overwhelming odds, if we remember that God has ample power and has amply provided for our deliverance. And so what I'd like for us to see tonight is three major headings that go along with the three major sections of the passage that we've just read. The first section has to do with the frustration of the king of Syria as he's carrying out his raids against Israel, the northern part of Israel. And we can say uh, the first section is about the all-seeing God who frustrates the plans of the enemy of Israel. But secondly, we see that uh, the servant of Elisha and Elisha are in the city of Dothan, which is a, a short way north of uh, Samaria in the northern kingdom of Israel. And uh, this servant wakes up to see the city surrounded by army of horses of chariots overwhelming we see secondly then that this servant was given sight he was given sight to see that which was invisible to the human eye apart from god's giving that ability to see the servant who is given sight and then thirdly we see that God, under Elisha, and uh, I, I think that this uh, army of uh, the chariots, of angel, the angels that uh, came to, for Elisha's protection, Elisha leads the Syrian army to Samaria, the capital, where the king of Israel is, and this God of Israel gives sight to the army after blinding them, and then, fr- and then he, he gives them food. And he gives, feeds them with a feast. And he frees them, he sets them free to go home to their master. So, those are the three sections of this passage. And we can look at them under those headings. First of all, the all seeing, all knowing God who frustrates the plans of the enemy of Israel what a remarkable thing this is the relationship between uh, Syria remember Syria's capital is Damascus and they're north uh, northeast of northern Israel and uh, they are one of the arch enemies of Israel and the king of Syria has come up with a plan not for frontal all-out war against Israel but that he would strategically set up bands of men at different locations throughout the, the northern part of Israel and set up ambushes. And the armies of Israel would be unaware and would be exposed for uh, attack. And it was his sort of a guerrilla warfare uh, strategy that the armies of that the king of Syria was using, and then uh, as he 's carrying this out as he seeks to carry it out he 's frustrated because uh, as the text says that uh, that uh, the man of God uh, was told uh, the man of God, verse 9, men of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going down there. So the king of Israel would act according to the information that the man of God, Elisha, gave him. And thus he warned him, and this, this happened uh, more than once or twice. And you can imagine, the king of Syria is, is getting very very frustrated being convinced that uh, he has someone who is disloyal so we go then from the raids that are taking place in northern israel and their inability to be successful to the court of the king of syria and the king of syria has his servants around him and uh He was greatly troubled. Verse 11, the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? And one of the servants said, None, my lord, O king. But Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. Imagine that. What he says in the most private and intimate place is known to the prophet Elisha, and the prophet Elisha is communicating it to the king of Israel. We don't know how this servant in Syria knew this, but uh, this is what he reports. Well, the solution is very easy for the king of Syria. Well, where is he? Get him. And so what he does is he, uh, he, he sends an army of horses and chariots and a great army to surround the city of Dothan. And uh, if you stop to think about it a little bit, you would think, well, maybe the king of Syria might connect the dots and say, well, if Elisha knows what I'm saying in my bedroom then he's certainly going to know what I'm up to now. Such is the blindness. Such is the blindness of unbelieving, uh, idolatrous humanity. So let's just pause here and notice a couple things. First of all, notice how God, the God of Israel, is different from idols. Idols can't see. They're made of wood. They're made of whatever. And we chase after them. We, we spend our time and we uh, spend our money, but they have no ability to respond to us. They are lifeless. And uh, the prophets describe this uh, 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 with, uh, many times. Uh, they're made of wood. Uh, the idols are, and, and uh, they have no life, and those who make them become like them. They're, they're blind, and the king of Syria demonstrates that, but who is God? The God of Israel is the God who made the heavens and the earth. He's not a God made up. He's not a construct he is not an abstract idea that men have thought about and put together. The God of Israel existed in triune bliss and joy prior to the world's existing. And he is the source of life because he is the living God. He is the living God. He knows everything. He sees everything. The writer of Hebrews says no creature is hidden from his sight but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account have you thought about that have you thought about what it means to live before the face of God that there's nothing that I do there's nothing that I think there's nothing that I purpose that God is not intimately familiar with. The psalmist in one th- Psalm 139, You know when I sit down. You know when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search my path, my lying down. And my lying down, are, you are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. So how then should we live? How should we seek to be? We should seek to be the kinds of people that know that the God who made the heavens and the earth knows us better than we know ourselves. And he is the God who sees what we do in secret. The things that we hide from others are known to God. And if you are a non-Christian tonight, then you need to know that God knows and sees even your thoughts and motives and intents—not only the things that you do. We sometimes uh, abbreviate. We sometimes think that God is God is only concerned with our big sins. God is only takes notice of certain kinds of things. But God knows you and he sees you and you are to be held accountable to him. If you are a Christian tonight, the fact that God sees and knows me and he knows the words I speak in my bedroom, it means that all of my thinking and all of my doing and all of my acting is known to him. And is therefore, it is for me to seek to live in the light of that great truth before the very face of God. And not to engage in anything, whether it be in my thought life, whether it be what I'm looking at, not to engage at in anything that I know he would be displeased with me for because he sees and he knows what I am looking at, what I am thinking about, what I am listening to. We live, as the Latin phrase says, "Quorum Deo, before the face of God. So that's, I think, one thing that we can understand, that God is the living God. He is a God of Israel. I also want to point out that not only is God living, and not only does he see and know all things, but God is a God of faithfulness, even to his unfaithful people. Think of the state of the nation of Israel at this time. They had ungodly kings, and they were worshippers of idols themselves. They were not worthy of any of God's protection. And yet here, through the prophet Elisha, God is providing for the protection of his unfaithful people. And As we heard this morning, God has promised to see us through. He is faithful to his covenant. And once that covenant is made, he never breaks it. And he doesn't break it even in the face of our unfaithfulness. How many times have we fallen? How many times have we been unfaithful to God? And yet God's promise to you of his love and his protection in Christ never changes. So it is for us then to realize that Uh, and all the fluctuations, and all of the ups and downs, and difficulties of life, though we change, God himself does not. Secondly, we want to see an event that takes place in Dothan. So the armies of the king of Syria are amassed around the city, and the servant of Elisha wakes up, and uh, I can imagine, I kind of picture it in my own mind, you know, he stumbles out of bed, his eyes are a little groggy, a little like I do in the morning. He's reaching for his first cup of coffee. And he looks around, and the place is full of soldiers. And he, he's, he has an overwhelming sense of doom. And, and uh, he says, alas, my master, what shall we do? And that, that phrase expresses his fear. His absolute conviction at that moment that his that he and Elisha are exposed to danger in a way in which there is no hope and no help. Everything is doomed. Have you ever felt that way at some point in your life? Maybe something happens. And you begin to you 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 feel as though a thread has been pulled that could be your unraveling. You feel as though your life, as you are comfortable with it, as you envision it now, might actually come apart. And that you might be destroyed. This is the feeling of this servant of Elisha and Dothan. What are we to do? And he expresses his fear. And so what does Elisha say to him? These words are so So uh, wonderful to read. He says, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And I can imagine uh, uh, in the flow of the conversation between Elisha and his servant, that his servant might have said, Really? Where? And Elisha then says after telling him, do not be afraid. Elisha, you notice, he's not afraid. Even though he's surrounded, he has uh, a certain stability. And uh, so the answer to the servant's fear is given when Elisha prays to the Lord, open his eyes, open his eyes, that he may uh, see. Do not be afraid. And then in verse 17, Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. And so the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. What a wonderful thing. Here, this servant of Elisha is allowed to see that which is invisible, Fiery beings, fiery chariots of fire. You remember, those chariots of fire came down to take Elijah to heaven. And what are these? But this is an embodiment, this is a way of describing angelic beings, the angels of God that surround the throne of God. Uh, John Calvin, we've been discussing uh, angels in our, uh, it just so happens that, In chapter 14 of the first book of uh, Calvin's Institute, it's all about the angels. So any who are here tonight uh, will remember that Calvin loves to describe the angels as being like soldiers intent on their leader's standard. They adorn the majesty of God and they make it conspicuous. They adorn the majesty of God and make it conspicuous, just like just like you know, the king of England has all of these soldiers surrounding the, 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 the palace, and all of these people ready, ready at his disposal to carry out whatever the king orders. Here the Bible pictures God as the great king of all of the universe, and he has myriads and myriads, thousands upon thousands of angelic beings surrounding his throne, and as Calvin says, making it conspicuous. And these angels have as their special task the protection of God's people. The protection of God's people. They are, the Bible teaches us, they are spirits. The Bible says that they're ministering spirits. God has many of them to carry out. They are used by God to carry out his wishes. They're assigned to have Oversight over kingdoms and kings. We read of this in various places in the scripture, even in the New Testament. Do you know that the Apostle Paul, in one place that is kind of obscure, but uh, he makes the point clearly? He says that women ought to wear something on their head. Why? Because of the angels. implying that angels watch over the worship that we carry on week by week, that there are fiery chariots, that there are angels surrounding us, and they have the the task of watching over the safety and the well-being of God's children. And this servant of Elisha was made very aware of these angels. Elisha contrasts uh, wonderfully with his servant because Elisha is filled with courage. But when the servant is able to see the protection that God has provided for Elisha and for himself, his heart and his spirit was calmed. And so I think we ought to pause here and just say that this matter of the prayer of Elijah for this servant is something that is needed for us as well. Elijah says, Lord, open his eyes. We also need to have our eyes opened. We also need to know that the God who has called us in Jesus Christ, he is my light and salvation, as the psalmist says, Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Well, where does that confidence come from? It comes from the fact that God has committed himself for the protection of those who belong to him. The Apostle Paul prays for the Ephesian Christians that the eyes of their hearts would be opened, that they would see that they would be enlightened and that they would know the hope that God has ca- to which God has called us and the riches of his glorious inheritance, the greatness of his power that he has worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So this great sense of the power of God that the servant of Elisha had his eyes open to, the same kind of thing God does in the hearts of his people. He gives them eyes to see the heavenly hosts of God. they It is an eyes to see the power of God at work on their behalf, which was displayed preeminently in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so we are to see these things and to know them and to take comfort and to take courage in them that God cares for us. It's an interesting thing. That even Jesus was very, very, it was very much the experience of Jesus himself in his earthly ministry, that he knew the ministry of the angels to him. And at various times, for example, in his temptation, at the end of his temptation, the angels ministered to him. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the angels ministered to Jesus. And you remember that in the garden, um, Jesus uh, It says that uh, after Judas came to him and kissed him, and uh, uh, one of those who were with Jesus struck uh, uh, with a sword, uh, the servant of the high priest, Jesus said to him, put your sword back in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. And then listen to this, he says, do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? Do you not know that I can appeal to my Father, and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? And you know he didn't do that. He didn't do that. All those angels, no doubt, invisible to the actors in that scene, but very visible in the sense of God's sending them there, surrounded Jesus at that time. And at one command, they would have wiped out everyone who was seeking to harm him. But Jesus gave himself, willingly gave himself to the suffering that he endured, that he would be the sacrifice for our sins on the cross. And so the power of God was available to Jesus, and instead he went to the cross. Well, the third thing I'd like us to see in this passage, and that we come to the the third part of this, and we notice that uh, in verse 18, and when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord. Now, just let's pause there. It says the Syrians came down against him, so they're surrounding the city. They must have found out where Elisha was, and they actually sent soldiers to, or probably a group of soldiers, to get him. They came down to get him. And uh, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Please strike this people with blindness. And so he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, this is not the way, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the men whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. And so, uh, imagine this. A whole contingent of the army of Syria, horses and chariots, are led. They are, first of all, they're struck blind. So you can imagine if they were led from Dothan to Samaria how did that happen one must have held on to the other and 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 it's almost as though here we have a cat we have a, a whole army captive struck blind dependent on the ones that are around them and holding on to each other so that they know they, they know they're on the path and they like captured soldiers, are following Elisha to the capital of Israel, Samaria. What a scene. What a scene. The power of God manifested over the armies of Syria, striking them blind and leading them blind to Damascus, the capital. So when they get there, in verse 20, we read, in verse 20, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. And so the Lord opened their eyes and they saw. Behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. Notice how, how this, whole, this whole section has to do with sight. It is, all has to do with sight. Uh, God seeing what happens in the, in, in the king's bedroom. God knowing, God seeing those who are struck blind and then given sight. And so here the enemies of God, the armies of Syria are captive and they're, they're, they're all together and they're in, they're in Samaria. And Elisha prays to the Lord and the Lord gives them their sight. Imagine what they must have felt. The king of Israel is there, and you you know what he wanted to do. Father, should I, my father, should I, should I strike them down? Should I, he was very eager to do it, to kill them. They were captives in the midst of Samaria, and they could have expected nothing but swift execution. Imagine how fearful they must have been. So these enemies of Israel are now in Israel's power. They're handed uh they're handed by the God of Israel to the king of Israel. And they had only one expectation, and that, which, that expectation was that they would be killed. The king saw his opportunity. But in verses 22 and 23, we see a very surprising, shocking thing. Elisha answers in 22, you shall not strike them down, Would you strike down those whom you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. And so he prepared for them a great feast, and when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away, and they went to their master. What an amazing thing. What a surprising turn of events that God graciously, first of all, gives these soldiers sight. What did they see? They saw that they were captives. They saw that they were in the power of the king of Israel. And they saw that they would most certainly die. So first of all, he gives them sight. But then he gives them food. And then he gives them freedom. God does this For the armies of Syria who were bent on the destruction of his people, Israel. And it strikes me, this giving of freedom to the enemies of Israel strikes me as somewhat similar to what must have been felt and what must have been experienced by the people in the book of Acts who listened to Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2. You remember, there were thousands of people there at Pentecost. And Peter basically lays out the evidence against them that they had crucified the Lord of glory. They were guilty of putting him to death, according to God's plan. But... They put him to death. This Jesus, whom you delivered over to be crucified and killed, God raised him up. And Peter quotes Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make my enemies my footstool. And your footstool. No, for certain, Peter says to them, that God has made him both Lord and Christ. Who? The one you crucified. My thought is that they must have felt very much like the army of Syria. They were cut to the heart, we're told. And the reason that they were cut to the heart was because they knew they were in the power of a king. They were in the power of King Jesus who has now been raised from the dead and made Lord and King. They heard their own guilt demonstrated and now they stand before him. What can they expect from this king? Judgment? Fact? Uh, Peter had introduced his sermon with a quotation from the prophet Joel in which he described the great and terrible day of the Lord that what you have seen is all a result of the fulfillment of this prophecy the great and terrible day of the Lord, and here they are. The great and the terrible day of the Lord has come, and we are at the mercy of the King, whom we crucified. They would expect to be put to death, but that's not what happened, is it? They were cut to the heart, and they said, "Brothers, what shall we do?" And Peter said, "Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ." For the forgiveness of your sins. Save yourselves from this crooked generation, Peter says to them. And then whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What an amazing turn of events. How does Jesus conquer his enemies? He conquers them with grace. conquers them with grace. You, Paul said, are by nature at enmity with God. You by nature are an enemy of God. How did God deal with you? Did he come with you in judgment for your sins? No, he came with the gospel. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved from this eminent threat of judgment. And so I think that what happened in ancient Israel under Elisha's leadership is again a, a foreshadowing of the gracious love of God for sinners, for his enemies, where instead of killing them, He offers to them life eternal. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the message of the gospel. So Elisha tells the king of Israel to set a feast before them. And is that that feast not a picture? Is that not a picture of the feast that has been set before you and me as well? In the gospel of Christ and in the fellowship that we have with him, and in the feast of the Lord's Supper, anticipating a much greater feast to come. We who are enemies by nature, Christ comes to us and conquers us, not by inflicting what we justly deserve, but he grants to us amnesty. He grants to us freedom, and we are enabled then to go home, to go home, the home to the one who is our eternal home. Let us pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we do uh, thank you for the way in which we are able to see in these, this wonderful account of your great power. You are the living God, and you have sworn the protection of your people You, O God, uh, have come to us in Christ and you have given us life. We thank you for this picture of this gift of eternal life that is given to us even in this passage. May we be those who see. May we be those who believe. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn tonight is... Psalm, Psalm 91.